Since 1971, Beautio Books has specialized in ornithology and natural history. They're a small, family-owned and operated mail-order bookstore with the largest selection of new, used, and rare birding and ornithology books in the world and a knowledgeable staff ready to help. Find field guides, travel guides, ornithology, natural history, humor, even children's books to inspire the next generation's love of nature. Visit beautyobooks.com to find everything you're looking for, and ABA members receive 10% off. Hello and welcome to the American Birding Podcast from the American Birding Association. I am your host, Nate Swick. We've got a big one, a supersized episode this week, the longest we have ever done. I take full responsibility for that, but I know that a few of you out there are excited by that prospect. I've had more than a few people come up to me and say, I shouldn't edit conversations for length anymore. They want to hear the whole thing. And well, be careful what you wish for. It is the return of the Birding Book Club with Donna Shulman of 10,000 Birds and Rebecca Minardi of Birding Magazine. We're not even talking about bird books. Well, not really. The conversation is about those other books that fill out your nature library, our favorite books for birders that aren't about birds. Butterflies, trees, wildflowers, we've got it all. We're blowing open your library all after this week's Rare Birds. This is your Rare Bird Focus for the second week of August 2023. The plover situation here in August 2023 is officially out of control. A third lesser sand plover of the late summer was seen this week in Mashpee, Massachusetts, that's Barnstable County, following birds discovered starting in late July in Quebec and Rhode Island. This is a Massachusetts first record, and it seems reasonable to think that it might be the same individual seen in Rhode Island last week as the distance between the two is about 70 miles as the plover flies. There are fewer than 10 records of the species east of the Mississippi River. Most ABA records of this highly migratory East Asian shorebird come, unsurprisingly, from the Pacific Coast. And in New Jersey, a mountain plover at Stone Harbor Point in Cape May County is a state first there, funnily enough. A mountain plover was seen about two weeks ago in Massachusetts, where it represented that state's second record. So who knows how these birds are moving around. As I noted then, there are a handful of mountain plover records in the east, but all that these two recent records come from birds seen in the late fall and winter. Those are the recent highlights, but for the full list, check out the ABA Rare Bird Alert on Fridays at aba.org RBA. You can also follow along with all the rare bird news in our ABA Rare Bird Alert group on Facebook and in ABA community. Welcome again to another meeting of Birding Book Club. It's been a while, but I'm excited to talk bird books with my panel here and, of course, with everyone else out there listening. Uh, for those unaware of the premise of this panel, uh, where have you been? But uh, it's, it's pretty simple. Birders love books, and with so many options out there, it's nice to have some friends around to make suggestions, talk about what we like a lot, maybe what we don't like quite as much, and celebrate the literary side of the birding lifestyle. No one short of uh, literature professors, perhaps likes books quite as much as birders and naturalists, it seems, uh, with shelves, shelves groaning under, the, uh, under all the books that we have. Um, I'm joined once again by regular Birding Book Club member Donna Shulman, reviewer for the website 10,000 Birds, and joining us for the first time, our ABA Birding Magazine Book and Media Review Editor, Rebecca Minardi. Welcome to you both. Hi, Nate. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Of course. And for those perhaps uh, worried that something happened to Frank Izagiri, uh, no, he couldn't join us. He's currently in crunch time editing 
a birding magazine issue and uh, couldn't be with us this time, but he'll be back in the not too distant future. We haven't, we haven't lost him. He's still out there. Um, and he suggested Rebecca to come along and join us. And I'm excited to have a, another voice to the team. It's always nice to hear what other people think about bird books. So our topic today is something a little bit different, uh, but it's a theme that I've wanted to get to for a long time. I, I think the defining characteristic of birders is that birds are our primary avenue into nature study, but not the only thing that we are interested in. And thankfully, the last few decades have provided books for nature enthusiasts beyond those just for birds. So the topic here is books for birders that aren't about birds, basically field guides, identification guides for everything else, or however you want to interpret that prompt. I found out online that people have sort of a broad interpretation. But um, I know that these books supplement my personal library. I arguably use them more than I use field guides to birds because I know birds uh, in the U.S. and Canada pretty well, and I, I don't know trees and bugs and dolphins and whatnot. Is that the case for, for both of you? I have an extensive library of some of these areas, yeah. uh, mostly dragonflies. <laughs> uh, at yeah. one point, I was very much into dragonflies. I've sort mm-hmm. of scaled back. But yeah, I mean, once you start identifying nature, you want to know the name of everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's somehow makes it matter more i'm not sure of the psychological process there (laughs) and also as as a book person i'm really interested on how uh field guides attack some of these other families um Mm -hmm. is it different from birding guides um do they give more or less information uh what's the breadth of titles um so for me it's also sort of that bibliographic area too and yeah, for me, I've been a birder for a while, but mm-hmm. once you know a lot of birds, you start wanting to know what the birds are eating or where are mm-hmm. they standing in. Um, so for me, my kind of foray into other field guides have been plants and trees. Yeah. And it really does make the world more vivid and more magical, at least for me. And I, I'm sure this is the way for many birders when you can name things. and understand how for plants or trees how they kind of work together just like how there are bird families or plant tree families and starting to kind of piece those puzzles together makes the whole world seem more alive well it is alive but it just is really a lot more fun to be able to know what things are oh i couldn't agree more do you look at these guides that we're going to talk about through the lens of bird field guides or do you sort of take them on their own merits I am not. You mean if, when I hold them, do I say, "Is this a good field guide?" Oh no! Uh, like, do, do your. <laughs> I guess. I guess what I'm asking is, do you compare these field guides to other organisms, to the field guides to birds, in a way that I, I know what you're saying? Is the bird field guide the sort of platonic ideal of the identification guide? And there's no oh, other way oh. to look at these guides. Oh, Perhaps that's a better we, way to put it. Do we use it the same way? Do we expect? The I same guess so. Level of yeah, you expect the same things of it. Yeah. Oh, yes. That's why some of these guides, were, are, I think, are very surprising to me. Like yeah. dragonfly guides, you have to look at the genitals. You don't have to do that <laughs> yeah, with right. birds. No, much harder. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's all these plates of dragonfly genitals, which are... <laughs> they're sort of artistically... <laughs> this is a, a family-friendly <laughs> podcast, Donna. <laughs> I'm using the proper terms. <laughs> <laughs> When I 
pick up a field guide, I like probably many birders, I really like range maps. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so when a field guide doesn't have a range map, I'm like, get yeah. out of here. <laughs> You're <laughs> so, right. No, I feel that. Yeah. I, that's yeah. kind of I, coming into this from like the birder perspective, uh, the range maps are important to me. Um, and then getting a look at if we're, when we're talking about plants, um, maybe in different stages, just like with birds, there's, you know, maybe different plumages, the juveniles are different than the adults. So I guess, yes, what you, your question, yes, I, I do kind of look at other field guides, um, through the lens of looking at a bird field guide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I wonder if that's the way people approach writing them too, but I, I have no idea. Yeah. One thing that occurred to me as I was going through my bookshelf is I realized I've tended to rely on a lot of these guides for a number of years and I mm-hmm. don't necessarily update it. And yeah. I I was wondering, well, how often do they update guides to reptiles? You know, uh, is is the taxonomy in flux like it is for birds? I, I really don't know. Constantly. I, I mean, I can tell you as, as sort of an <laughs> armchair herpetologist enthusiast, like people think bird taxonomy is a mess. Like reptile taxonomy is absolutely a giant black box and no one knows what's a species and what's a subspecies. And anyway, I, I find that sort of interesting as well because it, it depends on who you go to, like whether you're looking at a, you know, a Southern black racer or an Eastern black racer, Southern subspecies or whatever. It's, it's, it's a, it's wild out there and confusing. Are you like looking at when is the next herp reptile field guide coming out? <laughs> no, <laughs> Who's no, illustrating no. it? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I wonder if that's sort of a publisher issue too, because, you know, birds have this sort of natural audience, like field guides have a natural audience that is very large and is growing as we've seen in the last five, six, seven years. Um, I don't know if that's true of plant enthusiasts or dragonfly people or, you know, dolphin people. Like, I think that there's necessarily, it's a smaller group. And so maybe the publishers don't feel like they need to update quite as often. And, I, you know, that puts us sort of in a, a difficult situation because I imagine that taxonomy is changing as much as we know that bird taxonomy is changing. But I have no idea. It's, it's yeah. as you say, it's, it's, it's a mystery. <laughs> I, I think one thing we do have in the birding world is is this cult of field guides of very mm-hmm. enthusiastic <laughs> cult, <yeah>. birders <laughs> who who really follow that, and I, yeah. I love that. Oh, for sure, yeah, no doubt. Well, um, let's get to the uh, let's get to the books themselves. I want to talk about some of the things um, we've got. A, a we've each chosen five guides. There is a little bit of overlap, so we'll talk about that that too. Um, I, I haven't ranked mine. It's just five guides that I use the most and, and find the most interesting or perhaps unique and uh, just sort of gone from there. Feel free to talk about them in any order that you feel like you need to um, or want to. Let's just, let's just jump right down to it. Rebecca, as the, uh, as the rookie of the group, do you want to take the poll position and, uh, and let us know what one of your, one of your books are? Yeah, sure. I I have uh, mostly plant books, but I do have mm, a, juice, a juicy insect book that I'm excited to talk about. But I'll start with a book that you and I both had on our lists, um, cool. The Sibley Guide to Trees by... Yeah, and, let's and do Dave. it. The big one. Yeah. yeah, a name we all know and love, David yep. Allen Sibley. When I saw this book, I knew it was going to be good. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is an absolutely gorgeous guide. I... It's, it's to me, almost like a work of art. Um, so mm-hmm. he covers more than 600 trees in North America. And field guides, as you guys know, can often get cluttered, but he manages to get a lot of information on each 
tree species while keeping the pages clean and bright. And I loved that he used paintings and the paintings throughout are really lovely. Many accounts of tree species include a rendition of a full-grown leafless tree, which really can aid in identification. And many other tree field guides don't do that. I especially appreciate, as someone who's you know, very concerned about introduced and invasive plants, I appreciate that he gives details on whether a species is introduced, invasive, cultivated, and or hybridizes with other maybe native plants. And his range maps are very precise. He differentiates between whether a plant is native or introduced by color on his map. So overall, I really like this book. I could not agree more. It is a beautiful book. And I think birders that are familiar with David Sibley's artistic style and enjoy his style in the uh, Sibley Guide to Birds. And a lot of people like uh, Sibley's style. Um, and he brings it to trees. And I agree. I think that the, the the images of the trees without leaves on them is kind of a like a really groundbreaking sort of way to, to think about that stuff. And, it, and it's the same way that Sibley put in his bird guide, all the birds in flight, every single bird, even if you don't normally see it in flight, he's got a photo of it. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful book. I use it regularly and it's still not out of date, even though it's been almost a decade since it came out or maybe more than a decade. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it was 2009. So oh, wow. yeah, 14 so years. 15 years. Yeah. 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 I, was, I was thinking of putting that on my list as well. Partly because even if you're not into other parts of nature, it's important to know trees when you're birding. Mm -hmm. I bird with yeah. some people who are will, you know, they'll point and say the uh, vireos in the sycamore tree. And I'm always, what's the sycamore <laughs> tree? All right. Uh, yeah. So I really need to use this more because I'm still not that great with my trees. Yeah, I love the fact that in on trees that have lots of different leaf shapes, he mm -hmm. illustrates like all the different leaf shapes. So like a lot of oak trees have different shaped leaves at the the top than they do at the bottom, and I think that's really mm -hmm. important when we're identifying birds. I know, excuse me, not birds, but trees. I'm um, so used to saying that birds in this podcast, but um, I know that that's something that really helpful, really is helpful to me because other field guides, other tree field guides, typically rely on photographs more than illustrations, yes. and so you're sort of somewhat limited by the by the photographs you can get. Uh, unless you're using a drone, there's not too many uh, in situ photos of the canopies of trees, whereas Sibley can can illustrate that really nicely. Great, great book. Great, obviously a great choice for this sort of thing. If people love Sibley Guide to Birds, they will absolutely love Sibley Guide to Trees for sure. Donna, do you want to take the next one? Okay, I'll start with um, Dragonflies and Damselflies of the East by Dennis Paulson. Uh, which is part of a set. There's also dragonflies and damselflies of the West. Um, and they came out a few years apart from each other, but are quite similar, the same in design. Mm -hmm. I mostly use the East. So De first of all, Dennis Paulson, there are many dragonfly experts in North America, but he is extremely knowledgeable and also the most helpful person. I Even before he came out with this book, I was in contact with him for help of some dragonflies I saw in uh, Ecuador and Costa Rica. And he's just very helpful and very accessible. I actually have conflicting feelings about this guy. It is packed with information. There's a lot of dragonflies in the East. There's a lot of dragonflies in the East. And what I find really helpful is he'll tell you how to tell the difference 
between dragonflies or damselflies that look alike. There's also a lot of helpful charts of the appendages, which is what they call the jet genitalia. <laughs> Dragonfly genitalia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and he gives flight seasons um, by geographical regions, photographs. My problem with the book is that it's too much in one package. I really wish mm. that they had the resources to do this in two books. So it could be a little more spread out, which I think would make it a little more readable. What I usually do is I use this book in conjunction with a more local guide. And in the dragonfly, damselfly world, there are so many mm-hmm. regional guides, like you're going to talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Nate. Yeah, next, um, actually. Yeah, by again, very knowledgeable people. And because it's less species, they can be easier to use and take the photos or drawings, take up more space. Um, so I will usually start oh. with a regional guide and then go to Paulson to make sure I have the right species and to read more about it. And I'm going to add on, I said I would do this. I'm yeah, going to add on. <laughs> smuggle, that, uh, smuggle that other book in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The <laughs> Damselflies of the Northeast by Ed Lamb is my absolute yeah. favorite to, to Odinata. Um, I did list it officially because sadly it's out of print and it's mm-hmm. very hard to get a secondhand copy. This is a beautiful guide. It's yeah. illustrated by Ed Lamb, who is just a phenomenal um, yes. technical artist. I actually have two of his damselfly uh, drawings, paintings on my walls. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also just, again, a lot of information for identification, which can be really difficult if you're not going to um, capture them and take photos or um, scan them. So those are my two dragonfly books for this program. Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with the um, with the Dennis Paulson Dragonflies of the East because of the book I'm going to talk about next, which I use primarily for my local dragonflies. Um, but I, I I will second Ed Lamb as an artist. Um, his stuff, even his non dragonfly work, is just absolutely immaculate. Just beautiful, beautiful work. And um, I'm sorry to hear that the Damselflies of the Northeast is uh, out of print. But this uh, is a book with a very limited scope. It always felt like a labor of love sort of thing, more than a more than a technical guide uh, for the average naturalist. But it, but I, you know, I know his work. I've seen those prints. They are they are unbelievable. All right, should I should I go on? Yes. All right, so my my guide here uh, is one of those local guides that uh, Donna was talking about. It is Dragonflies and Damselflies of Georgia and the Southeast uh, by Jeff Beaton, who is a Georgia naturalist, uh, an accomplished Georgia birder, in addition to being a uh, dragonfly enthusiast or an ode enthusiast. And I think that shows through in this book. It really feels like a guide, uh, a dragonfly guide for birders by a birder because it feels like a field guide to me very much it's um got wonderful photographs of all the dragonflies that are commonly found in the southeast and and by the southeast uh what jeff uh, refers to is the carolinas tennessee alabama mississippi georgia of course and north florida so it's uh, a manageable number of species it's not too overwhelming um and uh, the photos in it that jeff has taken primarily by jeff are uh really fantastic obviously a almost a lifetime's work of photographing all the different dragonflies, including some of the really difficult ones that are found, you know, in in shadows and are difficult to photograph. He does a great job with them. 
Uh, some things I really like about this book, the range maps are excellent um, and localized uh, just to the southeast. There's a chart on every single species that shows when the species flies. So it's very easily attainable information that is uh, oftentimes crucial for identifying dragonflies, especially for those species. Damselflies too. I always forget damselflies. Uh, odes, um, for especially those species that fly for a very, very brief period of time. And one of the cool innovations that I think uh, I, I love on this book is that for every species account, there is a black bar on the um, you know, on the kind of the heads up display of the of every species that shows the size and the status that is approximately the size of the average individual of that species. So you can get an idea of how big an ode is just by glancing at each account. It's like uh, I, and you can't. I feel weird describing this on an audio medium, but it's uh, really cool because some of these um, little bluets, little damselflies, are very very small, um, and you can see you can see it right there. Really nicely done. It's got a Dennis Paulson blurb on the back, though. So you know, all those dragonfly <laughs> guys know each other. So yes, <laughs> but it's uh, it's really cool um, because it's only a few species. It's not a huge book. Um, there's a lot of information about where you can find every individual species. Um, it was recommended to me by a fellow birder slash ode person. Actually, someone who's more of an odor. That's not a very good word for someone who's interested in odes. And it, it's been invaluable for my. Um, relatively brief and surface level interest in uh, dragonflies and damselflies. Dragonflies and damselflies in the South. Georgia and the Southeast by Jeff Beaton. Yeah, I'm looking at my copy. I like the way mm -hmm. he gives the uh, season of yeah. when they'll be flying in, on the uh, border so it's very visible. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really useful information and really um, uh, easy to find. And uh, of course, the photos are amazing. As anyone who has tried to identify them. I want to get into dragonflies now, thanks to you all. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot of cool resources. I, I think that dragonflies, uh, flying insects, seem to be the next step for a lot of birders uh, <laughs> into, the, into other things other than birds. Uh, because a lot of birders love butterflies, obviously, butterflies mm -hmm. and, and dragonflies. And they fly during the midsummer when, you know, the birds are, are the most quiet. Mm. Um, and I don't know, people don't get into like wasps and, and houseflies and whatnot as quite as much as they do uh, big dramatic dragonflies and butterflies, but maybe they should. Wasps are cool too. <laughs> no. For, for what it's worth. No. No. No? Well, no they're wasps. <laughs> their nests, their nests, the nests are interesting. Rebecca, back to you. What do you have? Yeah, I do have to say I have another tree field guide because do it. Yeah. as birders, we all have multiple. Field yes, guides and birds, do. so I, I argue that we need multiple tree field guides. <laughs> this one is the National Wildlife Federation's Field Guide to Trees in North America. It has a host of authors, uh, Bruce Kirshner, Daniel Matthews, Gil Nelson, and Richard Spellingberg, published by Sterling Publishing. And this is more of a traditional field guide. It's compact, it has a waterproof cover, it has a quick index on the back page, and a how to use this book on the front flap. But I really like this book because it includes sections on North American forests and a very comprehensive visual glossary of tree parks, which is useful if you're mm, getting started mm -hmm. with tree identification. I, I think Sibley's Guide might be great for beginners, but when I pick up Sibley, I feel like you, you might want to have a little more knowledge about trees. And this one is great if you're getting started. Um, that's funny because that's sort of the, the knock on Sibley's Guide to Birds too. <laughs> yes, yes. I. Sibley is great. This, so, yeah, but this no, guide no has 
it, I know people have strong feelings about this, but this book does include photos, mm-hmm. um, which I think is useful to compare with uh, Sibley's yeah, Guide. Absolutely. And um, it's, it has these helpful colored tabs at the top of each page and divides the sections based on leaf type. So we're talking sections such as needle-like leaves or alternate simple leaves. So if you are kind of getting started, this is useful for you. And I like the range maps in this book. They differentiate by color between where species is commonly found and where it is more rare, which I think is useful. Um, Just as bird ranges, bird species ranges are moving, tree species ranges can also move based on Mm -hmm. climate change or maybe where trees are introduced in other areas. Um, And then finally, the chapter in the back describes all the families included in the book, which is nice to kind of get us a broader sense of how trees work. The families are also described within the book, but just to have them all in one place is really useful. And this is, this book is over 500 pages. So it's, you know, it's an enormous wealth of information. This isn't my largest field guide. So this is (laughs) what I'm talking about today. Stretching the definition of field guide. (laughs) Yeah. You maybe don't want to carry this in your pocket, but you could (laughs) in theory, but I I do really like it. That's great. I I think birders uh, of all people know the benefits of uh, referencing both a a illustrative field guide and a photographic field guide. Yes. And I I always say there are field guides for all levels and for all Mm -hmm. situations. There's just no one field guide. Yeah. If you have these two tree field guides, I feel like you are going to get to know all the trees. You're ready. You're ready. Yeah. You're you're set. You're ready to branch out. (laughs) Sorry. I appreciate that. Okay, Donna, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next on my list, um, staying uh, in the flying insect area, the Kaufman Field Guide to Butterflies of North America, Mm -hmm. which I think you had on your list too, Nate. Uh, I had the Kaufman Field Guide to Insects of North America. We can talk about them both here if we want to. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. I'm sorry. So this is by Jim Brock and Ken Kaufman uh, with collaboration of Rick and Nora Bowers and Lynn Hassler. Um, And it was published in 2006. And I have a lot of affection for this guide because um, I think around 2006, when it was published, I went on a, a birding and butterflies organized field trip to Colorado and use this so i associate my love for butterflies with using this guide but besides that it's just a very well organized easy Mm -hmm. to use um very very friendly guide which i think is really helpful because butterflies are very confusing they're not like birds at all birds are easy (laughs) i'm joking um I was a little concerned that maybe it had been superseded by more recent guides. Uh, there's also uh, Jeffrey Glassberg, I think, put out maybe one of the first butterfly guides, the binocular series, and more recently, mm-hmm. a swift guide to butterflies of North America. Uh, so I, I asked a couple of friends of mine who are very enthusiastic uh, butterfly people. It's another awkward. <laughs> it's another awkward name for people who are interested in. It's no, not. I, sorry, sorry, bug people. You really got to work on these. I call them butterfly people. Yeah. Um, 
they said Kaufman is the guy they uh, oh, wow. they okay. use. So yeah, I was praise. very happy to hear that. Uh, in terms of art, as in all of the Kaufman guides, these are photographs which have been digitally manipulated to show all of the field marks. And that does not bother me because mm-hmm. it's not with these. As so. someone who has tried to photograph butterflies, it's very, very <laughs> hard to get a, a decent photo. Yeah, for sure. Other features include they give a silhouette of the actual size. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could tell if it's small or large. And very important, they give the larval food plant, which you really need to know if you're going to seriously do butterflies. Yeah, for sure. I think you hit on it when you said well-organized. I mean, that's the kind of the trademark of a lot of these these Kaufman Guides by HMH. Um, They are super well-organized, super easy to use, um, great for beginners and experienced um, butterfly people. That sounds like someone you'd run into at Coachella. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're just and, and I, like, and like, you like no. <laughs> and you would, yeah, I mean, I, no, no, I'm just uh, suggesting. Um, but um, got, I've got a copy of this one too. It, it's well worn, so I use it a lot. I've taken it in the field a lot. Um, it is a, it is a great guide. It's just well, really well done. I don't know if you have anything to add, Rebecca. No, I need to get more into insects. You guys are really talking it up. I do have yeah. an insect guide that I'm excited to talk about in a second, but it okay. is um, fireflies. So we'll get there. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump uh, straight ahead into the partner book of uh, of the Kaufman Field Guide to Butterflies, and is the Kaufman Field Guide to Insects of North America. I love it for a lot of the same reasons I like the Butterfly Guide. It's well organized. It's easy to use. It's really useful. Um, insects are are a difficult nut to crack when it comes to identification guides, just because there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of of species. And I think that the, um, the field guide to insects by, uh, I should say, Eric Eaton and Ken Kaufman, um, does a great job, like distilling those, those, that many thousands of species into the ones that you're most likely to see, or the, or if you are not able to identify it completely, at least you're getting it down to something that you can take to like bugguide.net or something to really dial it down, which is how I've used it. Um, this uh, copy I'm holding right here is not quite as worn as the Butterfly Guide, but that's only because I have bought this book, this individual book, at least five times and given out my copy to other people. Insects were sort of my first love. They were the first thing I got interested in as a naturalist. And uh, this was back in the um, late 80s. And uh, there was nothing there. There was very little there uh, for people who are trying to identify that stuff. This is before the internet resources were available, too. And uh, there was an old golden guide to uh, to insects with a yellow cover. Um, I know those was, golden guides. <laughs> yeah, it was good, but it was obviously very lacking. That gets to the whole problem of insect guides, of course. Uh, but I think uh, this Eaton Kaufman guide has really done the best you can possibly do with this very demanding taxa. For that reason, it's a it's a must have on my shelf. I, I agree. Yes, I agree too. I have that book, and my kids really like it. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 very kid friendly. Uh, which yeah. is saying something. I mean, you've got a field guide here that is uh, uh, accessible to to kids and accessible to experienced insect buggers. Uh, this is, again, this is terrible. Um, uh, <laughs> insect uh, identifying people. <laughs> enthusiasts. <laughs> enthusiasts. There you go. But it's 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 really useful and it's good for you know the 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 lay naturalist. As I said, I was worried that some of what I use was superseded, so I did discover that there was a very recent, I think last year, Insects of North America by John and Kendra Abbott. Oh, 
Wow. Um, okay. I took a look at it. It's, I think it's on the next level from the Kaufman guy because okay. well, I, good. my yeah. first reaction when I looked at it is, oh my God, there's a lot of information here and it's scary. <laughs> Well, I know that Princeton University Press has put out some, uh, you know, family-specific insect guides, like the beetle guide that came out a few yes. years ago. That's really beautiful. And, um, you know, I, I'm sure there's other, there's a, there's a wasp guide that was suggested when I asked this question to uh, social media. You know, if you want to go further down that path, absolutely, there are resources available to do it, provided you're interested in insects that aren't like absolutely. weevils. I'm sure there's a weevil guide out there somewhere. But, oh, um, there's, a, there's for, a robber fly guide. There's oh, robber flies are cool, too. And great in Great Britain, they have a lot of these guides. Yeah, and um, it's nice to see that kind of come over to North America as well. Um, even though we're a much larger continent and have you know <laughs> multitude more insects to to go through. Um, yeah, if you're just wanting to get started, Kaufman guides it. Yes, and it makes me worried. Uh, and this is another discussion. I don't know how deep you want to go into that, but a lot of these are these are Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which yeah. sort of famously recently decided to disband their nature title unit or whatever they have uh, in the publication company, which is a, a real disappointment to those of us who have enjoyed um, the great books that they've put out. It's pretty much just Princeton University Press now. And of course, these local press, you know, Dragonflies and Damselflies, the Jeff Beaton Guide was a uh, uh, University of Georgia. Um, so there's still yeah, some the, folks out there doing that. But how The University Presses, University of Texas, I think, put out the Texas yeah. Dragonfly Guides. Um, yeah. yeah, the HMH, um, they were... Uh, bought by another publishing company, HarperCollins. Mm. Um, so my understanding is they're going to continue the Peterson Bird guides, but I would advise people, if they're interested in any of these, to get hold of them now. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so you're not in the position of someone who wants to get the Ed Lamb's Damselfly book. Exactly, because I've got another HMH book coming up that I'm going to talk about, too, that is... Uh another, you know, essential text for nature enthusiasts. But, but we can get to that in a bit. Back to you, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm going to switch it up and, and yeah, go to my it. insect book because I'm, I'm uh, getting so excited. This is the bug segment of the podcast. This is, uh, this is bugs only. <laughs> um, so this book I'm so excited about. It is Fireflies, Glowworms, and Lightning Bugs by Lynn oh. Frierson Faust. This book's also published by the University of Georgia Press. So these university presses maybe are gonna fill the niche that the last best hope, hope yeah. <laughs> is yes. lost forever um so if you are a fireflyer or aim to be one this book is yeah. for you it i really can't think of a more detailed field guide than this one it is chock full of so much information and it only covers about 75 species Wow. So uh, it covers 50 species in detail and another 26 species more briefly across Eastern and Central U.S. and Canada. And I am just getting into lightning bugs myself, and I can't wait to properly identify more of what I'm seeing in the wild thanks to this book. So mm -hmm. Faust has spent decades researching and tracking these amazing insects, and it shows in the pages of this field guide. And she explains that she wishes this book was available when she first got started. So yeah, she's trying yeah. to, you know, encourage the enthusiasts of today by, um, by putting this book out. The first part of the book is really kind of covers the life cycle fireflies, the myriad dangers to them, including the ones we uh, as humans have been posing. Mm -hmm. And she also talks about fireflies around the world as they're actually, I didn't know this, found in every continent, but Antarctica. Wow. And she also 
talks about how to better study these cool bugs and take pictures of them. And then in terms of the species account, each account is several pages long and they include these wonderful anecdotes from Faust where she's kind of talks about her quests of finding more hard to find species. She includes photos of people in heavy bug gear just waiting in a field to catch a glimpse. <laughs> and now thanks to her, I'm like really want to go to the Smokies and see the Smokies. Yeah, that's and famous there. Yeah. Firefly, yeah, the Firefly Light Show. I yeah. I'm, I've been inspired. And this actually brings up an important point that the names of some of these insects are just incredibly weird, which I love. So um, some of the some of them are um, Twilight Bush Babies. They're Sneaky Elves, Heebie-Jeebies, <laughs> the Woodland Lucy. Oh, man. So I, I wish birds had names like these. I know there are some, some cool bird names out there, but there are some really interesting lightning bug names. I have spent, you know, the past two summers spending a lot of time looking at fireflies in fields I know where they are, but this book is inspiring me to actually uh, be able to differentiate fireflies based on their glow pattern, their light pattern, their light color. So she does a great job of detailing that. I really recommend this book. That's so cool. Fascinating. Uh, Fireflies are one of those insects that like you don't realize the diversity that's in front of you until you really start paying attention to it. Because I remember when I started collecting insects and, and you'd, grab two different fireflies and you'd start really start looking at them. It's like, these are, these are two completely different insects. <laughs> these are two completely, they've got different patterns on their thorax, different patterns on their wings. Like I had no idea that this was happening around you. It gets to the point where we're talking, where we were talking at the very beginning where these sort of field guides offer another view of the world and it opens up your, your perspective yeah. to things beyond birds. I mean, we, sometimes we talk about birding as a, as a consciousness raising experience. You know, you're suddenly aware of this reality that's on top of your regular reality. Well, everything else in the natural world is like that too. It's just like sort of mind blowing that there's this kind of diversity in your backyard close to you. Uh, fireflies are some of the, one of the most amazing examples of that. Yeah, we are so lucky that we even still have them. They face so yeah, many threats. Yeah, no so doubt. you maybe don't have fireflies in your backyard or in your neighborhood anymore based mm-hmm. on you know some of these things that we've done. So yeah. please watch Fireflies, get this book, and uh, it's, it's, an incre- it's incredible that these insects have evolved to do the things that they do. Truly. Wow. I had no idea there were so many. Yeah. But it might be an entry-level creature for my four-year-old granddaughter who was visiting this summer and we were out in Long Island and at dusk we went out to look at the fireflies. We were able to spend a wonderful 20 minutes and she was just enthralled. They are better than the Disney lights. They they are. (laughs) They really are. All right, Donna, back to you. Okay, where are we? Okay, let's do some mammals. But these okay, are special yeah, mammals. mammals. Handbook yeah. of Whales, Dolphins, and Porpoises of the World mm-hmm. by Mark Carwadine, illustrated by Martin Cam, uh, Princeton University Press, and Bloomsbury uh, 2020. So this is a big book. And I didn't realize, again, you know, doing a little research, that there's a field guide by the same authors, which takes this book, which is over 500 pages, and halves it so it's you can carry it on a Pelagic. Mm. Well, I don't have that with me, so we're looking <laughs> at the handbook. Yeah, handbook <laughs> slash is, field guide. The the what? you know it's a gray area. 
between handbook well, and feel good. <laughs> in this case, it's a matter of 250 pages. Yeah, well. But yeah. I, most birders I know are just always entranced by uh, whales, dolphins, mm-hmm. porpoises. And I don't get as much exposure to them as I should because I get seasick. But I like, <laughs> I like it when I see them. Sometimes I see them from land because I'm in New York City. And, nice. But it's, they're also great creatures to read about because they are so mythical. And mm-hmm. it's a handbook, but it can also be used as an identification guide. It has quick guides to identifying whales by fluke and by blow. Or is that the same thing? Is the fluke the blow? No, fluke is the tail. Right. Thank you. I yep. just did a little my brain. It is, a, it is a whale's tail and also a um a parasitic yes. worm. Yes, yes. So they have quick guides by fluke slash tail and by yeah. blow, which I thought was just really awesome. Although when I see a whale blow, I'm just sort of like just too entranced to really analyze it. But maybe That's in true. the future I'll That's do true. that. Yeah, fair um, identification by ocean. Um, identification of bow riding dolphins and porpoises. Uh, by their full body. It's sort of like watching Hitchhiker's Guide where they all go up into the air, these full body <laughs> portraits. And <laughs> the species accounts also um, for the porpoises and dolphins dive sequence, which I can mm-hmm. see being very, very useful. It is. Yeah. Um, what I probably do is uh, videotape the dive sequences and then go home and compare it to these if you think about it in in the moment yeah (laughs) (laughs) there are range maps um i think from what they've written it's very hard to pinpoint the exact locations of some of these creatures but they talk Mm -hmm. about that they talk about which oceans they would appear depending on climate and other factors um and as a handbook they also give information on similar species on uh, feeding, uh, more background information than you would get in a field guide. And they're just fascinating to read about. I think people underestimate how difficult sedations are to identify because you see so little of them when you're actually looking at them. So any of those little clues uh, that you get, flukes, blow pattern, all that stuff is so incredibly useful. You don't really realize it even in the moment. I, I love these books. Uh, I love whales, even though I I don't see nearly as many as I'd like to. Um, love yes. having these books around, and um, yeah, this is a really beautiful one. Really great illustrations. That was one of my uh, questions: is would I be able to ID? Because, like you say, you. That's but hard. they do have. <laughs> it's, <really hard. laughs> it's very hard. They have diagrams of the fins. They have diagrams. Yeah. Of different parts of the body. I think it would still be difficult, but at least it gives you the information to try. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I can, I can think of uh, situations I've been in on East Coast pelagics of Hatteras where you like, you see a whale, just like a, a shiny gray, tiny little <laughs> island sticking up out of the water. And the people who are really good at it are like, oh, yeah, that, that's Cuvier's beaked whale. I'm like, mm-hmm. sure. That, that sounds great. <laughs> now I'll put that on my mammal list. <laughs> I think in California they even have names for the whales in some areas. Yeah. They they know yeah. that. Oh, individual. You can identify them by individual, yeah. not just species. Yeah. yeah. I live in central Illinois, so this just yeah. it just seems not, so not exotic to me. <laughs> <laughs> to even imagine seeing yeah. a whale. 
that's yeah. you don't even get into the gray lakes like some of the pelagic birds do yeah um i've got a really similar book for mine uh it's the offshore sea life id guide by mm-hmm. steve ng howell and brian sullivan maybe it's uh cheating a little bit because it does include birds uh it's got a number of pelagic species in it but it's got a lot of other stuff other than pelagic birds including um whales flying fish uh invertebrates big fish it's got a lot of really cool stuff it's really useful for going out on the on the ocean in the gulf stream and it's i mean it's super tiny it's super thin yes it doesn't have a yes. lot of it's very much like a um you know just just a pocket guide for whatever you're likely to encounter out there which i think is is, is really cool i love these guides to uh, to habitats to locations uh, as mm-hmm. opposed to guides to uh, individual groups of birds because this is a guide that is useful along the east coast and that is that is it <laughs> probably yeah. but uh, uh it's super useful uh for that for that purpose and um there's a, there's a western version isn't there there is a western version too i don't have the western version obviously i, I yeah. live on the east coast uh, but it's very similar um and and equally useful i would imagine i almost put that on my list but i mm-hmm. i was like oh it has birds in it <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I'm it's glad. a fun little guide yeah. <laughs> it deserves a place on the list absolutely yeah it does. Well, I had to take when we decided to go mostly North America. I had to take another one off my list. It'll get an honorable mention, but uh, I threw this one on in, in its place. On to you, Rebecca. All right, we're going to go back to plants again. Yeah, just, I just love plants so much. Uh, so we have another National Wildlife Federation field guide. This one is to wildflowers of North America mm-hmm. by David Brandenburg. It is my chunkiest guide here. It has over six hundred pages, and I don't understand how it only has one author so it was <laughs> it must have been taken decades to write yeah it is really impressive there are 2200 species of plants featured in this book and it's set up as similar to the tree guide i talked about earlier more there's a few things in this book that are really helpful if you're getting started with identification of wildflowers so at the beginning there's a section on colors and shapes basically there's a row of thumbnail images of flowers organized by color and then each photo includes page numbers that reference plants with similar looking flowers Mm -hmm. so if you're just starting like i see a plant what am i looking at this is a a nice way to kind of get to where you want to be in the book um and then another thing that i think is useful if you maybe know more about native plants uh, within the book there are these genus boxes where they the author lists the number of species within the genus in North America, a map showing the genus distribution, and then distinctive details common to plants in the genus. And that is one of those ways where you can kind of start understanding how flowers or um, these plants work together in families mm-hmm. and, within, and then within the genus. Um, each entry might include up to four closely related species, but somehow they there's also photos and range maps for each species. So this yeah. book is really packed with with. Uh, information but it still seems accessible it doesn't seem cluttered or crowded which i appreciate and i am so relieved i don't have to flip to a plate section everything here is in color yeah. everything together <laughs> i i i've used other books in the past we we all know you know flipping to plates and that's great but sometimes it's just it, it's really nice to just have it right there and right there on the page in hand so obviously this book does pack a lot in so having a book featuring the plants local to your specific area would be really useful to use alongside with this one. But overall, I think this guide is fantastic. And I like, I really like that there's a chapter at the end focused 
solely on introduced and invasive species. And mm-hmm. I think that's really essential. Um, we're having, you know, in my opinion, a crisis of, you know, a spread of invasive species in this country yeah. and I'm sure in many other places. So having that is useful. If you're working maybe on your own yard, trying to remove invasives, this is, this is nice. So I do love this book. But when I asked that question earlier in the show about how you approach uh, field guides, do you look at them through the lens of like bird field guides that we're so familiar with? Um, this was something that I sort of had in mind because a lot of, I think a lot of us are sort of familiar with guides to flowers and grasses and stuff like that as having just like these big texts of just like unending dichotomous keys and having to work your way through one at a time, all these. And I really love field guides that have photos, illustrations, range maps. Like these are the ways that we identify birds primarily. And I love that that's sort of trickling down into sort of general nature groups because dichotomous keys, they're useful if you know how to use them. I use them in college. I, it, like when I first started getting into nature study, that's what a lot of the guides to like trees and plants and all that stuff were. And like, I just, I just don't like them. They, they cross my eyes. I like, I cannot get through them. And sometimes they're very confusing and, and jargony. And, um, you know, these sort of really accessible guides to the life all around you, whether it's insects, whether it's wildflowers, whether it's grasses, whatever, are just so useful to getting people interested in nature study, I think. I totally agree. I agree too. I have not, I'm so glad, Rebecca, you're doing all these botany books. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, my, that's a, that's I, a I have point. not, yeah, for me. I have not used them um, a lot. And as Nate said, these, the different way of accessing them really threw me off it's like oh yeah. i have to uh take a course now to understand how to use the guide <laughs> right. yes you, do not need, you yeah. don't need to take a course for these books and i feel like they're really just fun to flip through whereas some other plant field guides yeah like you said your eyes do cross a little mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> these books are beautiful but they also are knowledgeable and give a lot of information so that's yeah. great i'm going to keep an eye out for these and mm-hmm. yeah expand my collection i think donna back oh. to you i only have one more book and i think we have two that can be kind of approached together but um take whichever one you'd like oh have we done have we done the moth guide yeah let's 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 shout out the mothers the mothers okay the, i uh, i lost track in the house um, <laughs> um yeah, because I know that I, I noticed that I have the I have the southeastern one and you have yes. the northeastern, one, which makes sense because yes. that's where we're located. But um, we could talk yes. about them together because they're very similar guides and, and useful for the same reason. Yes, uh, Peterson Field Guide to Moths of, for me, northeastern North America by David Beadle and Seabrook Lecky, and I think for your edition, which came out first. I think yours was first, mine was second. Because I have the northeastern one too, and I wouldn't have gotten that one if I did the southeastern one was available. <laughs> but these were these are just groundbreaking guides. What year did yours come out? Uh, mine was 2018, and northeastern was 2012. So northeastern was first, and um, oh, okay. Southeastern is second. Oh. Fingers crossed, western comes out um, in the not too distant future. Yes. Uh, I think there was just one guide previous to this, and they just had the moths mm-hmm. pictured as a collector would do it. So yep. one of the groundbreaking things about these guides is the they photographs in the guides 
picture the moths as you would see them in the field, sometimes with mm-hmm. wings open, sometimes with wings closed. Peterson died. It ha- is the standard Peterson organization, text on the left, artwork on the right. But it's, there are so many moths. So it I is think- unbelievable <laughs> the amount of moth diversity. I had no idea. Um, I think a lot of people have no idea. People get into butterflies and they're like, oh, butterflies, there's only like, you know, 1,200 species in North America. It's like moths, there's like 8,000. It's absurd. Oh, wow. 11,000. 11,000 in North America. Yes, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) So the Northeast Sky covers 1,500 and the Southeast Sky covers 1,800. And that isn't even all of them. (laughs) Not even all of them. Yeah. Just the ones most commonly seen. <laughs> there's there's the moths that look like insects, the moths that look like butterflies, the moths that fly during the day, the big moths, the tiny moths. <laughs> yep. It's just a uh, it's a must have, I think, if if you're into nature at all. If for no other reason than just to you know make yourself aware of the incredible diversity that is out there. Um, I, I found it to be. Very useful. If you are interested in like making an impression on uh, phonology or range maps or whatever, moths are the place to go, man. There are so <laughs> many new discoveries that can be made in moths. My interaction with moths is pretty much limited to turning on my back porch light and going be- checking back an hour and a half later and seeing if anything has shown up. And I was even able to find like a first county record of a moth uh, thanks to this this guide like people can really make a lot of valuable mm-hmm. impact into the the sort of local nature community by getting interested in mods and and to have these books available is unreal they are so well done so well done yes. so beautiful i'm just looking at at it while i'm talking there oh, are yeah. t- tiny little range maps which yeah. i'm oh so I think there was a story behind the range maps. They didn't really know enough to give range maps based on sightings of moths. So mm-hmm. what they did was they used the host plant to oh, determine, wow. okay. That's clever. To determine yeah. the range. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They looked at the echo regions of the host plants. But that just yeah. shows you how little is known about them. Uh, possibly sure. with something like uh, iNaturalist also that could be yeah. uh, included that knowledge could be increased. And uh, Rebecca, you mentioned all the crazy names of uh, fireflies. Moths have got some good names as well. Like, um, yeah, give me, give me some, give give me some. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to, you're going to put me on the spot here and I'm going to have to edit all this stuff out (laughs) uh, because I'm going to find it. Scurfy Quaker. (laughs) The sweetheart. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sad underwing. (laughs) The bride. I mean, it's like they they went off when they were naming these things. <laughs> I do like to imagine people naming insects. Right? Yeah. I'm not sure. I wish birds had weirder names. Yeah. Well, it's fun. I mean, when you've got 11,000 species you've got to work through, you've really got to stretch the definition of what constitutes a regular name. For I, think, I think a lot of people just ask their uh, little kids to name these insects. Yeah. It's like, what does this one look like? Oh, it looks like a sad bride. It's yeah. Perfect. That's two. <laughs> Hog peanut leaf sewer. I mm. need to look up 
whether these were common names in use or if the authors had to come up with some common names. I think there's some room for the authors to kind of come up with common yeah. names. I know that's something Steve uh, Howell famously did on his Flying Fish Guide because uh, they there there were no common names available for him. So there's an opportunity for a creative individual to to uh, make their mark, as it were. I know with yeah, Fireflies think- happened too a little bit where uh, there mm-hmm. was there were several species that just you know still had the Latin name only and. Yes. Yeah, I, I hope someday to get good enough at something that I can come up with a common name. <laughs> yeah, girlfriend underwing, <laughs> pretty bird dropping moth. <laughs> ah, well, that's descriptive. I'm sure it is descriptive. It's a yeah. pretty bird dropping, I guess. If you mm-hmm. wanted to describe a bird dropping that way, I suppose. Is the moth pretty, or is the bird dropping pretty? It's unclear. <laughs> but either way, it works. That that's it for me. I am finished. I've gone through all five of my books. The moths okay. was the, the last one. Do we have any other extra ones I, out there? I have. I have to do my fifth. It's yeah. Do it. Yeah, it's my uh, it's my lightest feel guide, but I love it, and I think it's going to be useful for some folks. It's Backyard mm-hmm. Foraging by Ellen oh, Zakos, cool. yep. published by Story Publishing, and this is a great introduction to foraging. It just includes 65 plants, many of which you might have in your yard or the random wild lot near your apartment. And for many people, foraging might seem scary. And this book makes finding edible plants more accessible. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, these, these plants are, you are going to, you are going to know these plants. A lot of them are like hostas, sedums, daylilies, which apparently you can eat the entire thing. Oh, cool. Good to know. Yeah, and she really, uh, Zachos really knows her way around foraging. Her writing style is very folksy, and she has a lot of anecdotes where she'll point out that certain plants' preparations or flavors are um, differ from what other guides say. And she has a lot of details on how to harvest the plant, best ways to enjoy it. She has a whole chapter of preserving and uh, preserving advice. She includes basic recipes. So this is a primer. This is you know there are mm-hmm. a lot of more a lot more comprehensive and dense foraging guides out there but this is one i recommend to help ease you into realizing that so much growing in your yard or you know side lot is tasty and (laughs) my kids and i got uh so into service berries this spring thanks to this book that we planted one in our yard so it's it's fun to see how much out there is available to us to eat and i think this is a good way to get started with foraging yeah, and it opens up a whole world of other field guides that we have not even touched upon here. Things that, like <laughs> yeah. mushrooms, and, mushrooms and shrubs yes. and all sorts of stuff like that. There's a Burns. lot of mushroom guides out there. Um, there are yeah, so many yeah. mushroom guides. There's, there's, yeah. there's, there's a, I don't know the best one. I don't even know where to start on that. But that there's a there's a Peterson's one that I reviewed. <laughs> I'd probably Peterson is a is a is a good right. reputable source. So I would probably go to that one as well. But there, yeah, there are many. There are many mushroom enthusiasts out there yeah some exactly. on, some on the botany side some on the eat it side <laughs> well do you have any more donna uh my last one yeah uh scats and tracks of the northeast mm, by I'm glad James you chose Taft Benny and jim bruchak illustrated by todd calendar falcon 2001 this is i think one of those books this one is in a handy take, put it in your backpack when mm-hmm. you hike guide. And it covers both tracks and scat of mammals and birds and some insects. Uh, it's, it's a good introductory guide. There are actually guides to tracks and guides to scat um, <laughs> that you could get if you want to go further. Uh, but it's really 
Um, again, once you get into birding, you want to know about everything. You know everything. And yeah. also, if you're hiking, you want to know if there's a bear in the area, is there a bobcat <laughs> in the area. But also, safety. Yeah. if you're doing shorebird monitoring, you want to hmm. know if the nest is about to be predated by raccoons. So there are various reasons to use this type of guide. Um, it uses drawings and it will show what the tracks look like. And it illustrates the pellets and the scat by drawings as well and gives you other information to help identify the scat because a lot, some of the scat may look alike. So they talk about how it smells, what would be inside it if you break it open. Um, and it also gives um, information on habitat and similar species and other signs to look for for identification. So it's it's one of those useful little guides that once you get into birding, you're like, I had no idea there was a guide to scat. There are. <laughs> Shout out to the, the Peterson Guide to Animal Tracks as well, which is also yes. in a similar vein and very useful. I used to be a counselor at a nature-themed um, summer camp um, for several summers. Um, a decade ago, and I'll tell you, like those those track guides, those scat guides are like frequently the first ones out of my bag uh, because you <laughs> run into tracks all the time, and people want to know what they are. And um, it's fun. It's fun to introduce field guides to people mm-hmm. using that because you get familiar with flipping through and finding what you want using the the keys and all that stuff. Um, and also, you know, that's that's frequently the best way to note the presence of mammals because yeah. mammals mm-hmm. are very difficult to see. Most are nocturnal. Aside from mm-hmm. you know white-tailed deer and and squirrels, um, mammals are really hard to to identify, and um, that sort of thing is is very helpful. And it's one of those that makes the world feel more vibrant that we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, lived in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, when you see coyote tracks um, on in the snow when you're on a run, yeah. you're like, whoa! Like, yes. <laughs> so you maybe don't necessarily want to see like a bunch of coyotes when you're running by yourself in the woods, but to see the tracks <laughs> is exciting. Oh man, we found yeah. bobcat tracks one time, um, and uh, this so this nature center was kind of abutted by neighborhoods, as everything is these days. And you know, to know that there are bobcats hanging out in this place, this kind of slightly degraded habitat, uh, is really cool. <laughs> it's really, it's cool. very cool. I love trying to identify uh, tr- those tracks that have multiple uh, impressions, like mm-hmm. um, mice, you know, because you have the footprints in the tail, or yeah. or just the the wave of the snake yeah in the in the sand the yeah. dirt <laughs> thank you so much for for putting those together i do have some honorable mentions that i wanted to get to but first i yes. wanted to i asked this question to uh, the internet to twitter um, and uh, i got a lot of really great responses from folks uh, ryan mendelbaum who's a um, this month in birding regular um, notes um, two choices that i wanted to say which wild urban plants of the northeast which um sounds like a really cool book yeah uh, they said it, it changed the way they thought about plants highly recommended that's cool and a lot of people uh talked about habitats of the world which i know is one that donna you talked about in a previous birding book club when we talked about best books of the year um i know that they the folks that put that out um ian campbell and phil sean and ken barons and charlie hess have a new one coming out that is habitats of north america um yes i have not seen habitats of the world i need to i need to remedy that the way people talked about that makes habitats of north america 
feel like an essential book for those people that are that are interested in that sort of thing. A field guide to habitats is such, such a cool concept. I'm, I'm glad they did mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, at Russ Owl, a field guide to the Atlantic seashore. Uh, this is a Peterson guide. Uh, another one of those great guides to habitats as opposed to guides to individual families of organisms. Um, I, I apologize for people that I, I'm mentioning here. Uh, Amanda Amanda Priest uh, says uh, conifers of the Pacific Slope. Another great tree guide. Conifers are are really difficult. or can be really difficult, and having a guide to that sounds fantastic. Um, boy, I, I, I keep <laughs> rolling through Social Wasps of North America from uh, Dario Terraborelli, Alfly Publishing by uh, Chris Alice Kratzer. That looks really cool. A lot of great, lot of great stuff out there. Please let us know in the comments. Um, if when you yes. listen to this, what you what you enjoy, and uh, Rebecca, you wanted to mention uh, an upcoming book that sounds amazing uh, from Lynx uh, that does have a piece with a with a book that we have talked about in the past that we loved. Yes, they are. Um, I think it came out in July, so it is. Oh, it's out now. Now. Yeah, and it is all the mammals of the world. So we're talking yeah. every mammal, all of them <laughs> in this book. Everyone, all, everyone's a mammal. All the mammals. I love it. I love the title. <laughs> and it's it really is incredible because, like you mentioned earlier, mammals are sometimes harder to see. Um, They're hard. They're hard. And uh, it's it, mammals can get so weird looking. So it's exciting yeah. to have this. Uh, see how mammals worked. Um, you know, families of mammals work together across regions around the globe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm excited. I can't wait to get my hands on a copy yeah. of this book. I look forward to the, half the book. Will be rodents and bats. <laughs> Yeah, so many think, rodents and bats. I think yeah, a quarter of all mammal species are bats. Perhaps. Yeah, uh, um, there's so much bat diversity. Yeah, many yeah. many yeah. bats. Many many. Is bats. there a many bat? Is there a guide to bats that we somehow missed? I have. No I don't think so. Either. That would be so difficult too, because bats yeah. are famously nocturnal, and like yes. it's hard to observe things at night. Uh, most of the bat enthusiasts that I know. Uh, batters, as as they're obviously known, <laughs> um, they they have these little cool devices that they hook to their phones, and there are like ultrasonic hearing devices, and they can wow. identify bats flying around by the patterns of the the vocalizations that they're making. That seems to be the best way to identify bats. Um, I can yeah. you know maybe count on uh, well probably more than two hands, but not very often the uh, number of bats I've actually seen roosting that I could identify. And even when they're roosting, they can be really tough. Uh, I don't know the not difference between big and little brown. Yeah. Well, there you go. The <laughs> flying foxes are a little bit of a different thing, but you know, all yeah. those little tiny medium, small to medium sized bats that are in North America are, mm. are hard, hard, hard. Well, I'm looking but that would forward be cool. to, I think maybe this will be my, uh, on my, uh, holiday list, all the mammals of the world. Yeah, I know. I probably will break down and, and get that one too. I, I love all the birds of the world. All, yeah. it's all, all of them. It's all of them. Everyone can't nice. beat that. Can't beat that. It's nice to know Links is still coming out with books too. Speaking of yeah. publishers, well, we we have we have gone way over an hour. This is probably the longest podcast we've ever done. But there's a lot of cool books out there. This is probably like the broadest topic that we've ever discussed on mm-hmm. Birding Book Club because you know usually we focus on something very limited. But here's like everything <laughs> is fair game, uh, and we definitely covered the co- covered the gamut. So I want to thank uh, both of you, Donna. Shulman and Rebecca Minardi. Um, I've links to where you can find their work in the show notes, as well as links to all the books that we talked about. Um, all, well, all the ones that were on our list, we'll see if we can get the ones extra. There were a lot of books in there that, that kind of passed by with the, with the <laughs> one or two words. I don't know if I'll be able to get to all those, but um, please check that out. A lot of great stuff out there. Please 
expand your nature enthusiasm beyond birds. Uh, birds can still be your first love, but um, there's a lot of other cool things out there to identify as well. Can add to the list of recommendations to Nate's question. Yes, that please do. Please do. Ideas we love to hear for them. future podcasts or just exactly. reading I, lists. It's funny because most of the th- when we do Birding Book Club, I I usually have most of the books that we're talked about, even if they aren't on my list. But this is the first one we've talked about that I like have never even heard of some of the books that we've mm. talked about, and I'm excited to check them out. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you both, Donna and Rebecca. This was great, um, and uh, we'll see you down the road. Thank okay. you so much. Bye bye. Bye. The American Birding Podcast is brought to you by the American Birding Association. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support it is to join the ABA. You get a lot of great benefits, including magazines, discounts to partners like Princeton University Press, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and more. You can find out how to do all of that at aba.org slash join. Special shout outs this week to Phil Thompson of Eugene, Oregon. Phil recently joined the ABA, noted this podcast as a reason for doing so. Thank you so much. Welcome to the ABA. Technical production is by John Lowry, who was excited to get the Marine Mammal book and become a whaler until he realized whaling has been banned in the U.S. since 1971. Social media is by Maggie Fitzgibbon with help from Greg Neese, who ordered a beautiful guide to shrooms and grass from a friendly guy on Craigslist, only to realize they only identified the dried kind and using colors they'd never heard of. You can find us online at ABA.org and on social media most everywhere as American Birding Association on Blue Sky. We are at ABA Birds. One of these days, I'm going to publish a book that is one long dichotomous key that loops back around to the beginning and never stops. A dichotomous keychain. Questions, comments, come to podcast at ABA.org. I'm Nate Swick. Thanks for listening. Bird like Tom, and we'll catch you next week.